Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast produced in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me. Now today I speak to Jody Porter who is the guitarist with Fountains of Wayne and has a fantastic new solo album out, Pacifier. Now I've got to give you a bit of a fanboy backstory on this if you'll indulge me for a moment. Back in the late 1990s a friend of mine, James Cole, g'day Jimmy, he uh, gave me a mix CD. Now that was the 90s equivalent of the mixtape. Anyway, this CD was chock full of a band called Fountains of Wayne. And uh, as you do with a mixtape, it sat on my shelf for a few weeks. And then I popped it in. And uh, I've been a fan of that band ever since. Just immaculate power pop, fantastic uh, songwriting through the main songwriters, Adam Schlesinger and Chris Collingwood. And uh, the guitar parts supplied by Jody Porter were incredible. Just beautiful vintage tones, hot rod tones, all sorts of great parts and, and, and great sounds. Now, Fountains of Wayne had huge chart success with their 2003 single, Stacey's Mum. Got them a Grammy nomination too, but there was a lot of music before and after that track. And uh, as Jody points out, it wasn't all just big, smart, funny power pop. There was a, there was a lot of really earnest and beautiful songwriting on some of those albums as well. Tracks like um, Hack and Sack and I Want You Around. Really beautiful tunes. It was a lot of fun to talk about some of those tracks and albums and the uh, recording process behind Fountains of Wayne. And it was also really, really cool to talk about Jody's solo career. He uh, continues a really deep melodic kind of pocket, but his own stuff has perhaps less obvious kind of lyrics and takes on a little more of a psychedelic, trippy kind of vibe at times. Jody's knack for welding together beautiful guitar parts and really orchestrating his guitars continues on his solo album. Here's a little bit of a track, A Beautiful Life from Close to the Sun. Jody Porter, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Nice to be here. Cool. Now, you had a gig last night. What were you up to? I was in D.C. and I was up until 3 o'clock in the morning. 
Oh man, so I've got you, that's, that's your Saturday night, or your Sunday morning I should say. So yeah. where are we now? This is Sunday afternoon for you. Uh, by a pool, uh, not too far from where I played last night. Nice. And uh, listening to the Velvet Underground with Alexa. Nice. Very. Uh, even though there's vi- even though there's vinyl stash, you know, which we're too lazy to pull out over here. I'm having a <laughs> pre Fourth of July party to celebrate uh, what's left of our country here. Okay. <laughs> that is cool. Hey, I want to talk about a bunch of things, including your new record, Pacifier, which I'm really digging. But if we could go back, when did guitar playing start off for you? Uh, I started on a ukulele like at the age of six and um, moved up to a baritone ukulele, which actually had a couple of steel strings on it, if I recall. And then at uh, age seven, I think my pop, who was also a musician back in the 60s, uh, started letting me uh, not lose, but use his 57 Les Paul Jr., which I still have. Oh, wow. So, yeah, about the age of seven, I started on a six-string electrical guitar. That's great. And what kind of stuff were you playing? Uh, started out on Buddy Holly and then, you know, discovered everything else in his record collection. Um, you know, get the Beatles on and get the Stones on and, um, you know, the, the English stuff, British invasion stuff, that sort of thing. Okay, yeah, cool. There's, um, you know, some people will say they're Beatles people and some people will say they're Stones people. But when I listen to your stuff, I kind of gather you're both. Well, I know some of the stones, so I don't know if that makes me biased, but yeah, I mean, they're apples and oranges to me completely. You can like both of them. I don't see any division, but it's like Gibsons and Fenders. You got to love both of them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Cool. And um, did you end up doing like garage bands or, you know, making, putting bands together with friends and things? Yeah. You know, I had to teach all the classmates that, usually were kind of picked on how to play instruments so they became cool uh-huh. and uh we played the high school or not high school but you know whatever's called grade school dances and all that stuff all the way up until high school and um sort i sort of bailed out on college after two years and moved to new york and that's when i became sort of on record labels and stuff but it was a lot of fun up until then i mean i remember loading in loading in gay system and stuff and we felt like badasses because we had a you know stack of cabinets and stuff it was a lot of fun back then and then you know you get the lawyers and the managers involved and stuff just starts to feel like it's work but it is you know okay sure (laughs) some of the fun goes out of it when you start adding money the first band i'm aware of that, that you were playing in um on a label was the bell tower were there bands before that or was that your first kind of main band um i had had you know various kind of schoolmate bands you know where some of them couldn't play that well you know yeah but like Stu Sutcliffe kind of thing uh-huh. and uh eventually they got up to a level the way they could and you know as a kid it was pretty novel i think because there weren't any kid bands, really, you know, especially in the town I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So we would be able to, like, you know, find the rich families that were having a debutante party or something and smuggle 500 bucks. And then we just started buying gear at an early age. 
So I've managed to keep that through the years. Nice. What? Um, so you had your grandfather's, uh, the Les Paul Jr. What, what other guitars did you have when you were starting out? Uh, 65 Mustang, um, which I also still have. And uh, what else? Was I, I, yeah, my father got badgered to the uh, max and finally got me a Les Paul Deluxe because I was like, I got to graduate from the junior to the proper Les Paul. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the juniors, the junior sounds better actually than the Deluxe. But okay. Yeah, that you know, I, I started building a collection at a really early age back when they were considered used rather than vintage. Yeah, right. I mean, there was a time where you could just pick up Les Pauls for nothing. Yeah, this was 175 bucks on my seventh birthday, I think it was. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, the Deluxe, that's got the mini humbuckers as opposed to the P90s on the Junior, hasn't it? Yeah, it's one P90 on the Junior, but it really does sound better than the Deluxe. Yeah, okay. Cool. So, um, the Bell Tower, that, that was a band you were fronting and, and writing for. Were you always writing songs? When did that yep. start for you? Yeah, I started right. I got all my bad songs out of the way, like George Harrison <laughs> said. Yeah, um, at a relatively early age before I started getting into the studio. So, yeah, London, like circa 90, was when I started to write some relatively decent songs and yeah, in my in my humble opinion. Okay, yeah, cool. So you, you'd had the hard work behind you, and um, the bell tower. I think that's is that where you met Adam Schlesing, Schlesinger. I never know how to pronounce that. Schlesinger. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not sure if he spells his uh, last name with a dollar sign like Gene Simmons or not. But <laughs> anyway, he's a good pal of mine. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be working together again in the future. Great. Um, but yeah, he did join the Bell Tower on the back end of um, us being in London. So okay. all our recorded work is the Bell Tower. He just joined up sort of as a touring bassist. Okay. And then, um, I don't know how long it was, a couple of years later, Founds of Wayne started to happen, and I jumped in on that one. So okay. I, you know, he joined my band, then I joined his. Yeah, cool. That band, obviously you were fronting the Bell Tower, so you, you kind of moved over to, like, the main guitar player. Did you enjoy the change, or did you miss the the front man kind of role? Well, creatively, it was, uh, you know, I could contribute, but I wasn't one of the main songwriters with Fountains as I was with my solo stuff or the yeah. Bell Tower before Fountains. Uh -huh. But, yeah, I, I liked not having to micromanage a band make all the decisions because we had you know proper management at that time with fountains yeah and so you know you just get to the gig and somebody will babysit you when you're on tour make sure you're awake <laughs> and it was pretty comfortable existence for the last 20 years yeah cool you, you guys had a great run the um from the the self-titled record in i think that was around 96 right right through to sky full of holes in uh 2011 yeah that sounds about right has it been 2011? It's been a long time, man. Obviously, Adam seems to have a similar love of 60s pop and rock uh, to you. That seemed like a good fit. Yeah, you know, he definitely is influenced by the you know, same stuff I am. He's a little bit more pop, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I like the Stones, and you know, he likes Squeeze. Okay. That's about the only difference. <laughs> That's a good picture. That, that sets it up well. Those those fountains of Wayne tunes, they're I mean they're classic and they're so so well crafted. How much 
How much room was there for you to add um, add your own parts and write some of those hooks? Um, basically, they would bring the songs in and play them to us down on an acoustic guitar, and then we'd go into a pre-pro, um, you know, like a rehearsal studio, knock them out and figure them out, and then really put them together in the studio. Okay. So everybody did contribute to the records. Yeah, cool. There's some great guitar parts. I mean, so many great parts. Did you... um? There's also parts where you're doubling keyboard. Are you writing those parts as you go? I'm writing the guitar solos, and then sometimes the keyboards will double that. Okay, know? yeah, cool. Adam and I have this dynamic of working together to where, you know, sometimes I'll get it on the first pass, but it's never planned out or, you know, kind of, you know, sometimes we'll comp a solo into something really brilliant, but you know, a lot of those went down on the first take. It's just like, you know, play something here. And I'd do like five, you know, takes or something, and we'd pick one or maybe have to comp it because it was too cool not to, you know? Yeah. But cool. he, he pretty much was behind the board as the producer. Okay. Um, you know, and, and when I felt like I had something I liked, I had some influence on which to comp. But, yeah, I'm happy to please, you know? It's like... Uh, take two and take four okay yeah that makes sense you know but i had a lot to do with all that stuff and you know it's a lot of the arpeggios and whatnot just colorings really but the primary songwriting stuff was done by adam and chris mm -hmm. and we just dressed it up in sunday school clothes uh-huh <laughs> well you dressed it up well great parts um so many great parts the uh the bright future in sales solo oh, i love that solo that felt pretty freewheeling I think I had the liberty of just going for it on that one. And one that I was talking to with a friend earlier, uh, and I hadn't thought of this song in years. You know, we, we did use it in an encore environment, but it was always like, you know, what key is it in? You know, <laughs> doing a little on stage, on stage conference. Okay. And that's called Go Hippie. Okay. And, um, you know, I just, I, I it, the song was so kind of, you know, comical to begin with that I was allowed this, you know, Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix moment, which was totally not what Sounds of Wayne was about. Yeah, you know, sure. It was more a constructed thing, but it was on the fly. And, you know, that's one take. And then we end up laughing at the end of it. You know, it's <laughs> just like flash, total flash guitar. And uh, I guess I, you know, I have the ability to do that, but I, I, I asked them, you know, let's, uh, let's not go that deep in there. No, it's perfect. <laughs> so the laughter at the end was in real time.
cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like you're just uh, cutting loose a little there. That's, that's great. I've read somewhere that Traffic and Weather, that came out in uh, 2007. That was mostly recorded by Adam and yourself. Is that true? Uh, traffic and Weather, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, we are both in New York and everybody else was somewhere else. Brian is in LA probably and uh, Chris up in Massachusetts. But by that time, you know, Chris had sort of lost interest in being in the studio and was, you know, fo- focusing on other stuff. And we kind of, you know, finished that one off together. Uh-huh. It's definitely the most, you know, guitar-y fountains record. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Cool. By, um, by Sky Full of Holes, I've, yeah, I read something Chris said. He wasn't... Um... He wouldn't be in a hurry to go back into the studio after Sky Full of Holes, so perhaps that further illustrates that. I think Sky Full of Holes is pretty much Chris's album because it's got more of that singer-songwriter kind of melancholic, you know. He likes a lot of stuff that is outside of the box, uh-huh. you know. He'd probably, he'd kill to be Towns Van Zandt or somebody like that or Sean Colvin. Okay. But yeah, I mean, the fountains sound pretty much, you know, described and noted as power pop. But, yeah. you know, I, I think it's a little bit more diverse than being put in that box. Yeah, you know, We have a, sure. a, lo- a lot of uh, different styles that we call it from. Nice. So you, I assume you're writing your own stuff at the same time, like I guess towards the end, you know, around that that period towards those last couple of records you, you start writing and producing your own stuff again um close to the sun's a, a great record i loved uh, i love that thanks i guess i'd describe it as you know more of a trippier looser kind of vibe to the to the fountain stuff yeah i think that the first yeah i would i think the first album i did was uh you know kind of coming out of my bell tower existence and mm-hmm. back into you know making records on my own again yeah and so yeah there's a little bit more psychedelic stuff and straight up big choruses and yeah you know quirky verses and whatnot yeah cool. it's still kind of a pop record but it's got a lot going on yeah something like um starscraper it starts off and you've got these big pads of it's almost like um soundscape or audio design going underneath this uh, big pop tune. There's a lot, yeah, backwards guitars and a lot of, yeah, a lot of delay and reverb stuff just trying to get it to uh, get psyche. And, um, you know, we put a little uh, fairy dust on it, you know. It's a production piece. Yeah, cool. So we've got your new record out, Pacifier, which came out earlier this year. Congratulations, it's a great record. Thank you. And it continues that, I guess there's all that kind of Britpop uh, a British influence, British rock. Um, the first track in the beginning, you've got the uh, the sitar and the organs going on. That's that's quite a cool trip. Yeah, I like that one actually. Um, that was one of the last songs I wrote because I needed a way to open the record. Okay. And I wanted it to sort of read like a book, 
So you got in the beginning, dot, 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 and then the last song on the album is called The Last Chapter. Mm -hmm. So I had recorded like 14 songs for it initially, and I had to boot a couple of them off because uh, it didn't read the way I wanted it to, to be read. Okay, yeah. So it's 11 songs, and yeah, it came out in March, I think. The the sitar, is that uh, like a Jerry Jones kind of guitar? Yeah, it thing, is yeah? actually a reissue of the, uh, it's a reissue of the choral. Ah, yeah, yeah, cool. And it, it sounds pretty cool. It's, it's a little bit of a novelty thing, but, you know, it works in there. Yeah, it's great. It, I mean, it appears on a whole bunch of part, tracks on your record too, which, which I liked. It gave it a bit of a... I don't know, maybe a unifying kind of tone. The thing I like about it, when it's when the track's kind of empty-ish, like in the beginning, it's got lots of room. You hear all the the um, all the sympathetic kind of overtones. But there's some other tracks where you use it in a really dense track, and you just you, you more hear just the attack of the front of the note without all the extra uh, resonance, and that's that kind of works cool too. It's funny that you mentioned that actually. Uh huh. Yeah, I have this Star Trek Enterprise, uh, you know, pedal board, which I use live. But, you know, the last two solo records I've done have pretty much just been kind of unadulterated with effects. Um, you know, I think a lot of that stuff that you're hearing is really in the fingers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, not a pedal, you know. Sure. It, we didn't have a whole lot of pedals to work with, so we blasted it through a Marshall, and that was kind of the the rhythm guitar sound anyway okay yep yep yeah there's some cool i love the um i don't know something like pick your poison that, that, that kind of slightly crunchy marshall it's it's not totally wound up but it's just it just sounds really big What um what guitars are you using on the album? What were the main ones? Uh, the main guitars were not you know my out of my vintage arsenal. They were kind of just what were around. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, there's a Squire Telly that plays a big role in that last record. But we had all these old amps and um, you know kind of started to just not get too analytical about the guitar sounds and, until we started mixing it. But yeah. Uh-huh. Um, a couple of real tellies and a squire telly which ended up sounding actually really good for it and uh, I think I had a couple of my vintage scratches on there okay whatever I had that was at the studio cool and um, whatever else he had uh, it was recorded in Virginia down here and we uh, supplemented mostly in the amp department and the guitars kind of just what was laying around okay Cool. So do you record pretty fast? You just putting parts down and moving on? Well, the song, uh, the uh, album that you were talking about, Close to the Sun, took a good amount of time just because we weren't working in fountains on tour or anything. Yeah. That was recorded right around the time of Welcome Interstate in New York. 
So we spread, you know, we spread that out for a while. Pacify, yeah. the new one, is uh, kind of done, you know, sporadically over the course. If you if it, if the studio was blocked out, it would have been like you know some total of two weeks or something like that. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, we you know we worked on that for about two two months. Yeah. Cool. Tracks like um, Vanishing Act and, and She's Changing Everything, there's a lot of guitars on those tracks. It's, it's great. But you're, you seem to be a bit of a master of stacking a lot of parts, but um, without it turning into mush, you, you seem to, there's still a lot of clarity between the guitars. Is there, any, is there any secret to that? Probably having a really good engineer. I mean, you know, uh -huh. yeah, I yeah. don't know Pro Tools. I've always had a, an engineer at the end of a cell phone call. Yeah. So, you know, it's up to them really to kind of figure out where to pan it and all that stuff. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I'm involved heavily in the mixing process. Sure. Yeah, it's cool. Those tracks, there's like these big walls of guitar, but it's a lot of clarity at the same time, which is, which is very cool. Something like, um, I think the start of She's Changing Everything, there's a real boxy kind of guitar sound in the intro. And this was, um, this is something I hear on the, some of the Fountains of Wayne records as well. So you've got this really sort of narrow EQ on a guitar. Do you kind of dial in those, those tones at the amp and then add the guitars around it? Or are you, are you doing that in the mix? Um, it's not so much the mix. I mean, what you're hearing is uh, pretty much the take, you know. And then at some point, maybe we'll reroute it back through a pedal or two. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of really clean guitars on the new record. What about the acoustics on the album? What what guitars do you use there? Something like um, TikTok. You've got like a stereo pair of acoustics, which sounds really sweet. What's what guitar is that? Um, that's probably my J two hundred. I would think. Okay. I don't have a whole lot. I do have a few, but I don't have like, you know, 30 acoustics. I've never really dug acoustics too much mm -hmm. as a collector. Sure. But I got a few nice ones. I, I got an old uh, J160E, and I think that was on the scene for that session. So that could have been either mic'd up. And we tried a lot of different things. Uh, not really like with a particular sound in mind, but. It's just like, uh, let's plug it into an amp and see what it does. Uh -huh. Maybe it'll feedback real cool or something. Yeah, cool. But yeah, a lot of those were just, you know, either uh, Gibson J200, I think, was pretty much primary on Pacifier. 
I really like that track, Waking Up Is Hard To Do. That's, that's very punky. Were you into 70s New York punk? Was that, did that factor in your listening? I would think so to some degree, yeah. Um, I just, you know, I needed to write something kind of happy and up-tempo mm-hmm. and uh, short and sweet, so that, for some reason, showed its ugly head. <laughs> but yeah, I do like the, you know, CBGB's era stuff out of New York, television, and the Voidoids. And, you know, I, I got to know Richard Lloyd pretty well. Uh-huh. And... Um, there's a little Richard Lloyd influence on some of that stuff. You've been doing a bunch of gigs lately. You said you had one last night. Um, you're doing some work with Evan Dando. Is that true? Uh, I actually went to a holiday with him and Anita Pallenberg at each place in Jamaica. And we've always kind of been friends going back as far as Britain. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we were strumming some acoustics on the porch and kind of uh, just having fun, really. But at some point, we may do something. We've been talking about it. Yeah. I know he's big in Australia, and um, that's pretty cool. I think he just came from Australia, did he not? He did, yeah. Yeah, he was here uh, last month, yep. Yeah, did you catch the show or anything? I didn't. I didn't. I've seen him before, though. He's great. He's amazing, man. You know, he can actually get up there with an electric guitar mostly and he's borrowed mine on many occasions when he's open first but uh, he'll show up on tour without a guitar <laughs> and just be able to take it because the songwriting is so strong you know that's cool yeah, I, I don't th- i've always needed a wingman you know but he can do it all all by himself but yeah it, it'd be nice to do something we're talking it's something in the works going on i think yeah cool that that would be great Great. And what, again, what about your solo stuff then? So for Pacify, is there any intention to, to pull a band together and uh, and gig with those songs? Yeah, yeah. we just played in Brooklyn uh, for oh, the cool. Northside Fest. And uh, it's a four-piece band. I got a guy uh, called Pete Hogan playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And a girl called Joan Chu. They're both excellent musicians who have worked with me live, at least not so much in the studio, but... Uh, you know, for the last three years, so we have a chemistry. And um, my friend Cobb Irvin, who can play any instrument, is the drummer in this project now. So we got a, you know, a, a great dynamic, and we're going to be doing more gigs uh, throughout the summer. Yeah, cool. That's great. Great. I would love to catch you guys live. I reckon that would be fantastic. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to come abroad as they say yeah i think there's some plans maybe it works to you know hit new york a few more times mm-hmm. i'm uh just i'm not in new york anymore i can really deal with the winters so okay i do la occasionally and yep. i think before we really get moving with touring we're gonna just do a bunch of stuff on the east coast here in the in the states okay that sounds good so what's the best way jody for people to um keep up with what you're up to with your gigs and albums and whatever um probably through my band page on facebook because i haven't updated or had anyone update i should say my website for quite some time sure but if you want to you know preview the album it's all digital stuff right now yeah thinking about doing some vinyl but yeah, cool. to to me it's still kind of a you know a new release so you know just kind of you know, working it up a little bit live and um, 
you know, you can get it through Amazon and all that stuff. If you don't like it, don't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair enough. Yeah, cool. But it's a great record. I I totally loved it. And um, I feel like every listen, there's there's some new stuff to dig out. There's a lot going on, which I really like. So I'll I'll keep playing it at my place for sure. Hey, uh, Jody, thank you so much for your time today. It was really cool to meet you and, and talk about... Uh, guitars and and your amazing career and um yeah hope to hear some more stuff from you soon indeed mate thanks for calling okay thank you jody later man all right there's my conversation with jody porter great guitar player great songwriter and uh the new album is awesome here's a track she's changing everything to take us out my name's matt wakeling you've been listening to the guitar speak podcast Last for hours.